Okay, good evening everybody. Welcome back to the Dracula class. This is Dracula class number four as we will tonight be digging into the sad and tragic story of Lucy Westenra from her initial encounter with Dracula all the way through to her, her tragic death, which of course more tragically is uh, Van Helsing. Hints at the end of chapter 12, which is where we're ending for today, is not, of course, the actual end of her story. Um, but, first, quick announcement, or rather just sort of a repetition of the previous announcement, but with the additional addendum, uh, again, summer courses are available now, and that's the announcement, that they're now available for registration. So, registration is officially open, it is open season on our summer classes, Inklings in Science Fiction, Mythologies of Love and Sex, Beowulf in Old English, and Elementary Latin too. I've been talking about them for the last few weeks. Um, so, um, anyway, I just want to... Um, uh, I just want to draw your attention to that and let you know that registration is open. So if you're wanting to sign up for these classes to audit or to take them for credit, they are uh, they are ready to go. Um, so uh, okay, excellent. Um, yeah, good. <laughs> April Cleaver is excited because there was toxicology in the reading today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, of course, I know that uh, uh, not all the science is is spot on, um, but um, anyway. Just, uh, uh, just, just, you know, that's, uh, actually April, that's the first thing I wanted to talk about. Um, uh, because, uh, so, okay, let me, let me, let's actually start with that. A lot of people, uh, get either upset or merely amused, uh, by the, all the blood transfusions that happen here, right? Um, uh, so, Okay. Um, right. Nor the linguistics. I know, Yana. I, yeah, Yana, as soon as I saw that you were joining us for this class, I was like, oh man, Yana is not going to like Dr. Van Helsing. I know it. Um, but yeah, Veronica, I was going to say exactly that same thing. Veronica says, what if she's AB negative? She could be AB negative, right? She could be the universal receiver. So, you know, it's fine. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's all fine. Um, the, the, Here's what I would want to emphasize, okay? What I want to emphasize is if we're thinking about that, like that is if we're applying modern medical knowledge to this story, we're kind of missing the point, okay? Here's here's what, how I'd want to encourage you to think of this. I want to encourage you uh, to think of this as... Um, uh, you don't even have to go so far as to assume that Lucy is the universal recipient or that everybody in the story happens to be the same blood type. What you do need to do is enter into the secondary world of the story, okay? And here I'm using Tolkien's vocabulary, and and, uh, and I'll explain it for people uh, who are new around here and not used to that. Um, Tolkien talked about, um, in his famous essay on fairy stories, Tolkien uh, spoke of how he dislikes the sort of normal use of the term willing suspension of disbelief. His argument in brief is that if that is your state, if when you are reading a work of fiction, you are actively suspending your disbelief, then the art of the work has failed. That's not how good books work. How good books work is instead to create a secondary world. It's not the same as our world, right? It's a secondary world that creates its own world, and you enter into that world imaginatively. You invest what he calls secondary belief. It's not primary belief. It's not the real world, right? It is the world of that story, okay? 
when we read a book like you know so this this is this is a thing that I think is really important not only in works of fantasy which are deliberately creating a secondary world which is different from our primary world right um, you know a world of you know magic and magical creatures and all that kind of thing also when you are reading works from a historical period earlier than our own. Anytime you're reading old books, you are also basically reading a secondary world. And I think, um, you know, you can do comparisons and contrasts, right? I mean, you, like that is, you know, if, if you want to, if what you're interested in is like what we can learn about the like medical assumptions or like how they used phrenology or about physiognomy or about, um, you know, the, the, I mean, there's a lot that actually we could get from Dracula. I think it would be very interesting, for instance, to read Dracula as sort of an insight into what Bram Stoker knew or was suggesting about sort of psychiatric and psychological states. I think there's a lot that's interesting there in what he shows about, what he suggests about that through how Dracula functions, and we'll see a bunch of that later on today. Now, that's not what I'm essentially primarily interested in. It's not the kind of question I tend to ask. I think it's a perfectly legitimate question to try to understand what is Bram Stoker's concept of these things and to be looking at them and, and sort of comparing and contrasting them to what we know of these things. But again, I think if you are constantly reading this as if this were just this is not this is not happening in our world, right? The rules that we accept in our world, that is what we accept to be, you know, sort of scientific and medical truths, are not true in this world. Okay, um, it's just it's just not so. So let's 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 look at how this works. Okay, uh, in the in in the world of our story, um, this is Arthur showing up uh, ready to to be a donor, right? You know, he's where he's just said like, uh, you know, I would give, uh, I would give the the last drop of my blood for her, and right. And Van Helsing is like, oh, I don't ask so much, not the last drop, right? Uh, what shall I do? There was fire in his eyes, and his open nostril quivered with intent. Van Helsing slapped him on the shoulder. Come, he said, you are a man, and it is a man we want. You are better than me, better than my friend John. Arthur looked bewildered, and the professor went on by explaining in a kindly way. Young Miss is bad, very bad. She wants blood, and blood she must have or die. My friend John and I have consulted, and we are about to perform what we call transfusion of blood, to transfer from full veins of one to the empty veins which pine for him. John was to give his blood, as he is the more young and strong than me. Here Arthur took my hand and wrung it hard in silence. But now you are here, you are more good than us, old or young, who toil much in the world of thought. Our nerves are not so calm, and our blood not so bright than yours. Now, what do we learn here? What? Tell me the rules of this world in which we are living here, in which we are operating while we are reading the story, right? Um, rules are, okay, Karita, good. Male, young, athletic equals good blood. Why is his blood better than theirs? It's more appropriate. Right? There, there are two factors, remember, that Van Helsing brings in. One is that it's more appropriate because he is, he is the lover of her. Right, uh, so it's you know because there's an intimacy in sharing your blood like this, right? So it is you know that it should be her fiance makes sense, but but more than that, there's physiology involved here, right? Um, uh, okay, so so what else? Yeah, Margaret, you're, you have better. You have better blood if you aren't an intellectual. Why? Why does he say that? 
Right? He says, uh, 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 but now you are here, you are more good than us who toil much in the world of thought. Right? Yeah, so he does, Margaret, suggest that those two intellectuals, Dr. Seward and Dr. Van Helsing, their blood will be inferior to Arthur's. Right? Arthur's will be better because... Uh, yeah, Sarah... I, 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 Sarah Lagarde says, is Arthur a muscle head? Well, more active living, shall we say, right? I, that, I believe, is what Van Helsing is suggesting, that because they toil much in the world of thought, Van Helsing and Dr. Seward are much more sedentary uh, than Arthur is. Arthur is all active. He's out there playing polo and fox hunting and whatever, playing tennis and whatever else rich people do, right? Rich young lordlings. Which is what he is, yeah. So it's his, it's his vitality, right? But also, April, you've got it. It's not just there's, there's two factors here, right? Our nerves are not so calm, and our blood not so bright than yours. And the brightness of his blood is also important. He is a lord. He's an aristocrat. His blood, literally, his blood is better than theirs, right? He comes of blood. From good blood, um, so his his um, that's that's um, um, remember it right after this in this scene, taking Doctor Seward aside, he Van Helsing explains how excited he is about having Arthur as a donor, and says that uh, um, I says oh his blood is so he, he is of blood so pure that we need not defibrinate it right I don't even know what defibrination means. But I can tell what he, you know, he said that there was some pro, some purification process that he was going to do, and but they don't have to because Arthur's blood is so pure, by which it means that it's, um, um, it, it's 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 I, I it's referring to his lineage, right? He is of pure blood. He's an aristocrat. That that matters. The fact that he's male, Carita, as you said originally, does seem to matter. The fact that he's active and healthy and everything else like that. So, uh, you know, rather than those people who, Nancy, I agree, anxiety, right? Our nerves are not so calm. So the, uh, them living sedentary, sort of more stressful lives. He doesn't have live a stressful life. I mean, okay, Arthur's having a bad month. I mean, a bad week, really. Uh, no question about it. I'm not trying to say poor Arthur doesn't have any stress in his life. But, you know, he doesn't have an occupation. He's, does, you know, he's, not, um, he's not intervening uh, uh, in, uh, in, in, in people's mind. Penny points out that um, Dracula is a boyar. Yeah, Dracula has good blood, too. I, well, his blood is... I mean, apart from the fact that he's dead and his heart doesn't beat anymore. But, um, but any, anyway, um, there's... Um, uh, uh, there you go. So, um, all right. So, okay. So, so this is the world we live in, right? If the, it's, it's when they share their blood, they are sharing their strength with them. It's not like a mystical, spiritual thing so much, right? There just, I mean, there seems to be an element of that. Like when Lucy reflects, like after she's had the transfusion, remember she writes in her, in her diary, new begun as uh, Van Helsing will call it. Um, she writes like, I feel like Arthur is all around me tonight, right? There's some kind of like mystical connection, but that's not primarily it, right? It's not for the sake of the mystical. It's not like we are connecting your life force with her life force. That's not how they, uh, that's not how they talk, right? Um, it's this—it's his—the strength and health uh, from th- that is in their blood 
is given to her, and and that's what matters, right? That's what matters. Um, the, his uh, stout manhood, like Quincy Morris's stout manhood, and there's a royal lot of it, too. Um, and if you can quote all of the lines in which they say that without snickering, you're a bigger person than I am. Um, but uh, anyway. Um, okay, okay. Um, so, uh, let's see... Um, yeah, yeah, good. Um, all right. Yeah, interesting. Mick says, it, the intellectual work distilled the vapors off the blood, making it more dilute. I can totally believe that. At least that certainly would seem to fit uh, with what uh, Van Helsing is saying. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Penny, when uh, he says that she wants blood, I don't think that, you know, he means like, <laughs> Lucy's being all needy in the blood department, right? Uh, I think he's, th- this is in part him not perhaps picking exactly the right word because it's not his native language, but also I think um, he, he's, he's using want not in the, like, I kind of have a hankering for sense, um, but rather in the, like, blood is wanting from her, right? Blood is missing from her body, so her body wants blood in that sense, in the sense that it is lacking it. Um, so, uh, so yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's the primary way that I read that. Um, but again, sometimes Van Helsing, uh, his English is, is not always so good as we can see his grasp of not only of idioms, I love Van Helsing's idioms, and Kiana, I know it's going to insult you every time, but I just love it. I, 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 he's adorable. I mean, I just, I just want to put Dr. Van Helsing in my pocket and take him home. Um, he is so cute. Um, but um, anyway, okay, so just, just my recommendation to you is that when we're, when we're reading Dracula, and again, indeed, when you're reading any earlier book, the, 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 the way to think about it, I think, is to think about entering into that secondary world. Don't always be like, that's not how things work, and if you really did that, then she would have died. You can do that, but you're taking all the fun out of it, and you're kind of not even reading the book that Stoker write, wrote, if you see what I mean. Um, I, I think, you know, if we're going to read a book, we might as well actually read the book that's written and actually enter into the world that he's describing as best we can. Um, so, um, anyway, yeah. <laughs> Philip says he likes how wine is a good idea after giving blood. Uh, no, Philip, actually, wine is a good idea all the time, right? I mean, it's uh, uh, brandy, especially, uh, if you've got it. That's uh, by far the best. It's like the solution for almost every problem. That's one of my favorite parts of this uh, of this, uh, of this book. If I were... Um, uh, yeah, I, I just, uh, I just, I just like it. Yeah, I know, Yana. I, 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 I know you're not a, uh, not a fan of his English, not even to mention his German. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Um, exactly, Margaret, you can apply it topically, right? Rub it on the gums, you can do all kinds of things. I mean, just alcohol, I mean, there are very few things, there are very few problems, apparently, uh, which alcohol doesn't uh, solve. It's one of the take-home lessons, obviously, uh, from Dracula. Now, let's look at Lucy's story. So having, having, having addressed that at the beginning, let's go back and let's, uh, let's, let's look at Lucy's story. Now, we, have, we, we practiced this last time, right? We're going to do this from beginning to end. From, from, from her first encounter through her death, we're going to tell the story of what really happened. Right? What is the insight that he has given us? Let's use the insight that Stoker has given us in, in knowing and being able to figure out what you know, Mina doesn't understand. How can she possibly know what's really going on? Right? Dr. Seward 
doesn't figure it out. Van Helsing is figuring it out, but he doesn't know instantly, right? And we can even see he's kind of guessing in some situations. Uh, so, um, yeah, James Stevens points out that Dr. Watson always prescribed brandy for every occasion. Yeah, it's not just Stoker. He's, it's not just like Stoker is an Elkie, right? That, that was a thing, right? I mean, everybody in that period, this was... Uh, that's why you always carry a flask. That's why, remember, when Jonathan Harker is in the carriage uh, uh, to... to you know, um, there's, a, there's a flask of brandy under the seat, it's like having a life vest <laughs> under your airplane seat, right? You just wouldn't go anywhere without. I mean, it's it's like a thing. It's like a safety feature, right? That you uh, that you that you supply. Anyway, okay. Um, so let's look at. And so now, here, here here's what we're gonna. Here's what I want you to do because you have to do you have to do the the work here for me, okay? Um, I want you to be making observations as I read these passages. Tell me what's important. What should we be noticing? Okay, is there something we should be remembering? Like there's something we should be making a connection to from earlier in the book? Uh, Just anything that's important, anything that we we should be noticing and drawing some conclusions of. Okay, all right. This is Mina's account, of course, of the night that she went out and found Lucy sleepwalking out up onto the into the churchyard. When I got almost to the top, I could see the seat and the white figure, for I was now close enough to distinguish it even through the spells of shadow. There was undoubtedly something, long and black, bending over the half-reclining white figure. I called in fright, Lucy, Lucy, and something raised a head, and from where I was, I could see a white face with red gleaming eyes. Lucy did not answer, and I ran on to the entrance of the churchyard. As I entered, the church was between me and the seat, and for a minute or so I lost sight of her. When I came in view again, the cloud had passed, and the moonlight struck so brilliantly that I could see Lucy half reclining with her head lying over the back of the seat. She was quite alone, and there was not a sign of any living thing about. He can't resist that kind of ominous, any living thing about. When I bent over her, I could see that she was still asleep. Her lips were parted, and she was breathing, not softly, as usual with her, but in long, heavy gasps, as though striving to get her lungs full at every breath. As I came close, she put up her hand in her sleep and pulled the collar of her nightdress close around her throat. While she did so, there came a little shudder through her, as though she felt the cold. I flung the warm shawl over her and drew the edges tight round her neck, for I dreaded lest she should get some deadly chill from the night air, unclad as she was. I feared to wake her all at once, so in order to have my hands free that I might help her, I fastened the shawl at her throat with a big safety pin. But I must have been clumsy in my anxiety, and pinched or pricked her with it, for by and by, when her breathing became quieter, she put her head to her throat again and moaned. Okay. What do you notice? Tell me the, uh, tell me the important things here. Right? Good! Yes, several of you are pointing out how, uh, um, um, Mina, how intrepid Mina is. Right? Um, I... Yeah, yeah. I, she uh, not and uh, the two things that Tom Hillman and Carita are pointing to. Tom points to how brave she is. Right? She sees danger and runs towards it. Right? In order to help her friend, um, that whole like white face with red gleaming eyes thing might freak somebody. I mean, even if your first thought is not like some kind of supernatural undead creature is by my friend, even if that's not your first thought, right? And it is in a graveyard at night, but instead you're like some kind of wild animal, like 
strange wild i mean that's the next logical thought right some kind of wild animal is there i mean still like i'm out at night in my you know dressing gown and and uh, you know like in my bathrobe and and there's a wild animal in the, yeah but but she sprints towards it right so i agree tom she, mina is very brave and also uh, a great presence of mind karita really loves the uh, scene where she uh, rubs mud on her feet so that somebody who sees her won't think that she's barefoot um absolutely okay tell me Tell me what we... Tell me the other things that are interesting. What we see good. Jennifer, yes, the red eyes is interesting. We've seen this before, right? The the, the, the blazing eyes that we've seen both when he was angry, um, when he comes in and, and pulls the, the vampire woman off of Jonathan, and then also with the, that gaze of basilisk horror, his eyes are blazing in that scene as well. But here we learn that that blazing is not metaphorical, right? It's... Uh, it's, it's quite literal. She sees his red eyes in the dark, right? Um, okay, good. So what else? So good, Nancy. We have this clear indication. The red eyes make it absolutely unquestionable to us, right? Not to anybody else. Certainly not to Mina. But to us, it's absolutely unquestionable that this is Dracula, right? That's a, that's a positive ID for us based on what we've seen in Castle Dracula. So I think it's certainly important in that way. Ian Blaylock points out that she sees the teeth marks but doesn't realize what they are. Yeah, that's the important business about the safety pin. Right, um, that it, she th- she sees the two little pricks, right, the two little pinpoints, and she thinks that it was a wound. She thinks that she got a fold of her neck and transfixed it with the safety pin. Uh, concerning which, ow! I mean, just the thought of puncturing all the way through a flap of your neck with a safety pin makes um, makes me really cringe. Um, but uh, but anyway, okay, so. Um, so we we can see a couple things there, right? Amber, as you point out, this does show Mina's own natural inclination to leap to a, a you know, a, a naturalistic explanation, right? She sees it and she's like, oh my gosh, the safety pin, right? But of course, it also shows, so it shows us something about sort of the state of Mina's mind, which shouldn't surprise us, right? We've seen this kind of thing before, just like Jonathan at the beginning of his journey. But... It also shows us something about the nature of those points, right? When a vampire bites somebody, this is what it looks like. It looks like a pinprick. It can be mistaken for a pinprick, right? So that's clearly that's clearly important. Um, yeah, good. Good, let's see. Good, Penny points out that Dracula is not interested in Mina at all, although she is defenseless. Yeah, I mean, Lucy's not going anywhere, right? Lucy's lying there. She's, like, still asleep or something. So, yeah, it does seem like here's... So here's Mina functionally alone in the graveyard at night. Uh, and, yeah, you'd think that maybe Dracula makes his move here and he's like, hey, like a two-for-one deal, right? No, that's apparently not Dracula's. So I think that that's, that's actually a really easy point to overlook um, and not really think about um, uh, Penny, but I think it's a really important point. Um because we can think about why. Why wouldn't he do that? Now, let's not try to answer that question now, because we don't have enough data really fully to answer that question. But keep that question in mind as we watch the pattern of Dracula's activity with Lucy as time goes on. And I think we'll begin to see, perhaps, why he doesn't. We, we, we might be able to understand a little bit better why he doesn't pounce on Mina, which, as you say, you'd think he could, right? Um... Okay, good. So, let's see. What else? Good, yeah. Mark Ingram points out the loss of breath mirrors the loss of blood. Yes. She is... That, that, the, the breathing, 
right? The breathing. This is going to be a thing, right? This is going to be a. Uh, this is going to be a major symptom of Lucy's illness to the point where later on she is going to essentially diagnose. You know, she she thinks that her disease, whatever it is, it must be pulmonary, right? It, it, she, she says, "I think it must be something wrong with my lungs because I, I can't ever seem to get air enough," right? Um, so it's enough where Lucy believes it to be. She feels it to be her chief complaint that she can't. So so it's clearly uh, it's clearly an important point. Um, okay. Um, what else? What else? Good. How does Dracula choose his victims? Rachel asks. What a really good question, right? Because we have. The, two, the question we've already asked, why not Mina? But of course, in asking that, we're jumping over the first question, right? Which is, why Lucy? Right? Now, there are a couple things I might have missed it, because there are a whole bunch of things that I'm kind of uh, uh, sifting through here. Um, but, uh, but, 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 but hang on, let's not skip over it. Where is she? Where is she? Where does this happen? In the graveyard, where, where, more, not just the graveyard. Yes, on the suicide's tomb. Exactly. Okay, on the bench, which is on the tomb of on on, on Jordy's tomb. Remember, Lucy makes a big deal about that when Mister Swales tells the story. Like, oh, this is my favorite seat, and now I I, I find I have to go on uh, sitting over the grave of the suicide. Right, so it's actually set on the grave of the suicide. Right, and that's significant. Why? Why? A couple of you are referring to the scene at the funeral. We're going to get there. We haven't gotten there yet. We don't know that yet. <laughs> Morgan Soul says, Suicide Bench is now going to be his band's name. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a pretty good band name. Bench, I don't know, you know, but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, good. Right, we deduced last time that Dracula seems to have gone there in his first night in Whitby. The combination of the dog that he killed on the way and Mr. Swales, who dropped dead on the seat, at something apparently he saw right there in front of him, which scared him to, as if death were coming to him, right? The old man wetting his scythe and all that. Um, yeah, so he's, Dracula seems to have shacked up in the tomb of the suicide, because it's unholy ground, but yet it's, it's in the graveyard, so we've got that whole holy, unholy thing going on, which seems to be important for Dracula, right? Okay, so he's, um, he's there. This is his home, his, his, his home base. So the fact that it takes place on his home base seems important, right? Or at least his temporary home base, right? His brief bivouac and, and, and base of operation. But how did she get there? How did she get there? Good. Yeah. She sleepwalks to there. Why is that important? Why is that important? Got it, Mary. Yes, Mary Engeldowell says she walks there of her own free will. Yeah, yeah, she goes there. Um, remember that whole threshold thing with Jonathan? Enter freely and of your own will, right? He doesn't seem to say that to Lucy, but she goes there, right? He doesn't drag her. He doesn't, like put her over his shoulder and take... She comes to him and crosses his threshold, right? Um, If we can understand the boundaries around the grave of the suicide, it's a threshold. She's crossed it, and she's crossed it of her own free will, right? Um, 
Okay, now, no, Veronica, she doesn't know what she was do- what she's doing, but neither did Jonathan, right? I mean, he knew he was coming into this guy's house, but he didn't know the significance of that, right? Um, we'll keep, we'll keep, we, 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 we're not going to get the full answer to this question here in this one passage, but I, I think that making sure we start with the, the, those basic observations, right? It takes place where Dracula was, on his little home away from home, right? And that she walked there of her own will. And I would add the sort of obvious, um, the sort of obvious answer, or this sort of obvious observation as well. She's asleep when she does it. That might not seem like it's a big deal at the time, but I think in the end it's going to become a really big deal, uh, or it's going to become obvious that that's a very big deal. Let's keep going. Okay, here's Lucy's memory. Right when she later on opens up and tells Mina about what happened, here's how she describes it. Again, tell me what's important. I didn't quite dream, but it all seemed to be real. I only wanted to be here in this spot. I don't know why, for I was afraid of something. I don't know what. I remember, though I suppose I was asleep, passing through the streets and over the bridge. A fish leaped as I went by, and I leaned over to look at it, and I heard a lot of dogs howling. The whole town seemed as if it must be full of dogs, all howling at once. And I went up the steps. Then I had a vague memory of something long and dark with red eyes, just as we saw in the sunset, and something very sweet and very bitter all around me at once. And then I seemed sinking into deep green water, and there was a singing in my ears, as I have heard there is to drowning men, and then everything seemed passing away from me. My soul seemed to go out from my body and float about in the air. I seemed to remember that once the West Lighthouse was right under me, and then there was a sort of agonizing feeling, as if I were in an earthquake, and I came back and found you shaking my body. I saw you do it before I felt you. What do we notice? Good. Carolyn Morehouse. You're right. Dogs howling all over the place, right? We've seen this before. When do we see this? What does this suggest? What does this show us? Yes, Carita. Dracula has a rather overwhelming personality, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. What is this? What is this? What does this show? It shows us Dracula's obviously near, right? The dogs have previously been an indication of Dracula's... Well, think back. When was the first time we ever heard dogs howling in the book? Do you remember? What's our first instance of dogs howling? Good. Yes, James. The carriage ride. Jonathan Harker's carriage ride. The the, the Eve of St. George's carriage ride with the blue flames. Right? Now, when do they start howling? right before the wolves start howling, right? And when the wolves, are, the wolves come, Dracula seems to have called them. The wolves appear to be deployed by Dracula for his own purposes. They are ringing, surrounding the carriage, preventing Jonathan from leaving, preventing the horses from bolting, because the horses have nowhere to bolt, because they're completely surrounded by wolves, so they stand there in terror, right? So Dracula appears to have called the wolves, and the wolves have come, and uh, the the and they're doing his bidding, and the dogs all in the region are howling, right? While this happens, um, so it seems that now interesting. Yes, no, you're uh, you're James. You're right. Um, James Lieback points out 
there was a dog howling near Jonathan's hotel the night before that. Yes, you're right, James. Which I think is just foreshadowing. I suspect that of just being foreshadowing. I don't think Dracula was hanging out in the town, but it's possible. Quite possible. Who knows? Um, but um, but anyway, yeah. Are the several of you are wondering like are the dogs good guys? Do the dogs hate Dracula while the wolves love him? That seems quite possible. I mean, certainly to, to judge from that uh, uh, from the uh, what was it? I forget what it was. The anyway, the really fierce dog that uh, that he had, that attacked him and he killed the night before. Um, the dogs, the mastiff. Yeah, thank you. Um, they, um, they 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 they. Based on that, it would seem. I mean, if if that's true, then that dog attacked him on sight, base or smell or whatever upon encounter, right? Um, so that would suggest that the dogs don't like him. But it also does show that the do- the howling shows that the dogs feel his influence, right? When he's doing his thing, however it is he does that thing, when he's doing his like, you know. I don't know if it's like Aquaman calling the fish or what, but anyway, when he does his like telepathic, I am summoning the wolves or whatever, the dogs are apparently aware of it and they respond to it by howling, right? Um, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> get in there, Carrie. You are absolutely right. That scene that you're remembering is really important, but I'm not talking about that. We'll totally get there. And when we'll get there, you'll be completely justified. Um, Mary is wondering if all animals have the reaction to Dracula since the fish leaps too, and a couple of you were talking about the fish. Uh, uh, Carita suggesting it was probably a dogfish that jumped. Quite possibly, Carita. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 maybe. I mean, maybe the fish is agitated by, uh, um, uh, by, by, um, uh, by Dracula's call too. I don't know. I mean, if he can call the... That'd be kind of cool, actually, if he could call the fish. I don't know if he can call the fish. We have very, very little evidence about uh, Dracula's influence on fish directly. But it's... But it's... But it's possible. It's possible. Um, so, okay. But you notice the other cru- the other critical... So, we've got the dogs howling. He is exerting his influence by whatever mechanism exactly he does that. Upon whom is he exerting his influence? Lucy! Exactly, Emily! Yeah! Lucy! He's calling Lucy. I, 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 I only wanted to be in the spot for some reason. She felt drawn to, this, to, 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 her, to her favorite seat, right? She just wanted to be there. She doesn't know why. She was afraid of something. She doesn't know what. Right? Um... He is calling Lucy. Why does Lucy leave the house? She's never done that before. She's sleepwalked before. She's never gotten up and left the house before. Right? Freaks Mina out when she discovers that Lucy has gone out and in the state of undress that she has. 1897. By state of undress, we mean not that Lucy's naked, but that she's only wearing her nightgown. Right? Yeah, exactly. And her nightgown is going to not be terrifically revealing, I'm thinking. But anyway, only to go out only in your nightgown and not even wrapped up in your dressing gown, right? Or anything. I mean, oh my goodness. Yeah, Ian, you're right. You probably can see your ankles, I bet. And think of the scandal. So, um, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, the, the, the long, dark business, a couple of you were asking about that. What is it with the long, dark thing that Mina sees? I think it's just, it's Dracula's wearing black clothes. It's really simple. I think he's thin, 
that is, you know, he's thin and he's bending over her, and um, and so just from a distance, she sees something long and dark. It's interesting to me, and a couple of you were pointing this out before. She doesn't say it looked like a man, right? Something long and dark was bending over. I saw a white face with red eyes. At none of those points does she um, does she say. Like, there was some dude, <laughs> right, bending over her. She didn't associate him with a with a man, presumably because Daniel, yeah, I assume it's because of the glowing red eyes thing. She sees the glowing red eyes, and she's like, okay, not not a person then, but it was something, right? Um, yeah, and there's, and Mick, you're right, there's no human form indicated, but the long, di- it's, he's not a bat. I don't think he's a, no, he's not. Can't be a wolf either. His face is only white in human form. Uh, I, I can't. I can't think of any of his other forms in which his face would look white and his eyes red within them. So probably, um, probably not an anteater, Thomas. No, he doesn't literally become a leech. Uh, so no, I think it's, it's only a figure of speech. Uh, it's a metaphor. No, it's a simile. He's comparing him to a leech. Uh, that would be awesome, though. Right? When Dracula like choosing to take on leech form, um, that would be awesome. Um, no, there's no evidence he can take the form of an aardvark or a, an anteater or a platypus. Um, anyway, anyway, okay, 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 okay. Um, so, so what do we have here, right? Okay, so she has some vague fear and desire in her dreams, right? She doesn't, she describes this as being like a dream. She thinks she was dreaming, she's not, but it seems so real. Was I actually experiencing this directly or was it a dream? She's not really sure. So she's in some kind of strange sort of liminal state, right? And then she describes, as several of you have have pointed out, um, that she has a full out-of-body experience, right? She sees the lighthouse down below her. Um, it sounds like she is dying. That if... Mean, uh, that, uh, my, 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 my reading of this is that Dracula was actually going to kill her on that first night. That if Mina had not come along they would have found Lucy's corpse in the morning. Um, the, you know, the, I, I, there was singing in my ears as I have heard there is to drowning men. So she, she describes the out-of-body experience. She compares it to the experience of drowning, right? And she's never drowned herself before, but she's heard stories about drowning, and she compares it to that. Um, it sounds like she's actually kicking the bucket at this moment. Um, at least that's that's what I understand from that. But but also just remember that image of that separation of Lucy's awareness looking down and seeing her body below her, right? So we have, in Lucy's own experience, in her own memory of this, what happens on the night that she's bitten is we get she gets divided into two Lucys, right? Um, uh, and the earthquake is Mina coming and shaking her, right? Um, Mina shakes the thing up and disrupts what's happening. Um, footnote. Um, I cannot even put a number on the precise number of students who wrote papers over the course of the earlier stages of my career in which they attempted to convince me that this passage is Lucy describing having an orgasm. I mention this as I think this to be a prime example of how when you bring certain... Like, if you read too much Sparknotes 
and you become really convinced that the key to understanding this story is that it's all about repressed Victorian sexual desires, um, then you can make that work and you can apply that to any scene and it might be fun and it's perhaps a little titillating to some, but you're not really, when you do that, you've left the book behind. Um, so, um, anyway, I just, I, I, for a while I used to try to convince them that that reading really just doesn't work here. Um, and then, uh, I just, I, I, I kind of gave up on that. But anyway, let's move on. <laughs> Next. Okay. So we've got, we've gotten some, 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 some stuff here, but, but wait, we still don't come any closer to answering the question. Why Lucy? Okay. He's calling Lucy. Why? Why? Why does he single out Lucy? It's a big town, right? There are lots of people around. Why is it that Dracula is landing on the shore and he spends one night in his suicide's grave and then he's like, Lucy Westenrock, come on down, come on up, right? Um, why does he do that? Several of you are referring to the movie versions. Wait, save it. We'll get there. We'll get there. Though I have to admit I'm going to have a hard time showing quips to some of these films because we must keep these classes family friendly. But anyway... We'll get there. We'll get there. Forget about it for now. Just the book for now. Um, why? Well, let's attempt to... Why is it that he calls Lucy? Why is he able to call Lucy? Um, let's um, let's look. And, Carrie, the time has come. We're going to talk about the uh, funeral of the, the ship captain. Lucy is so sweet and sensitive that she feels influences more acutely than other people do. Just now, she was quite upset by a little thing which I did not much heed. This is Mina, of course. Though I am myself very fond of animals. One of the men who came up here often to look for the boats was followed by his dog. The dog is always with him. They are both quiet persons. I love how she calls the two of them persons. And I never saw the man angry nor heard the dog bark. During the service, the dog would not come to its master, who was on the seat with us. Okay, so they're standing, presumably, on the bench, on the suicide bench, right? Um, so that they can see the funeral happening, which is nearby, but not right next to it. So the man, the, the owner of the dog, is standing with Lucy and Mina on the suicide seat, and he's trying to get his dog to come over to him, but the dog won't come. Okay, okay, let's make sure we're, make sure we're clear on the situation here. But kept a few yards off, barking and howling. Its master spoke to it gently, then harshly, and then angrily, but it would neither come nor cease to make a noise. It was in a sort of fury, with its eyes savage, and all its hairs bristling out like a cat's tail when puss is on the warpath. Finally, the man, too, got angry, and jumped down and kicked the dog, and then took it by the scruff of the neck, and half dragged and half threw it on the tombstone, on which the seat is fixed. The moment it touched the stone, the poor thing became quiet and fell all into a tremble. It did not try to get away, but crouched down, quivering and cowering, and was in such a pitiable state of terror that I tried, though without effect, to comfort it. Lucy was full of pity, too, but she did not attempt to touch the dog, but looked at it in an agonized sort of way. I greatly fear that she is of too supersensitive a nature to go through the world without trouble." You're right, Mina, there is a only a very small chance that Lucy is indeed going to go through the world without trouble. Um, good. Philip, I agree. More evidence that dogs don't like Dracula. I am, I am, I am, I am liking this theory more and more. I see plenty of, you know, we, we are getting more evidence that uh, uh, the dogs sense him like the wolves, but unlike the wolves, hate him. Okay. So, um, 
Yeah, exactly. James Lubach and Karita are pointing about are pointing to how uh, that 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 dog is aware of what's going on, right? The dog is basically saying, "There's a vampire right there, you idiot." Um, uh, yeah, um, it's trying to warn them of danger. First, let's separate this into two parts. First, let's talk about the dog. What do we learn about Dracula and everything from this dog? And then we'll talk about Lucy. Okay. So what do we learn from the dog? That dogs hate vampires. What else? More. What else do we learn? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lee Smith likes it. He compares the, she, she compares the dog to a cat. It is a strange kind of moment, right? Okay. So the dog can sense Dracula. Um, Dracula is there. Good. Yes, I agree. Dracula is present. This pr- this proves because his this is not his his home. It's not like the Drac. I mean, the dog seems to be unlikely to be detecting like residual vampire odor, right? This presumably it means Dracula is himself, literally, physically, in that tomb right now, underneath their feet. Okay, so Dracula is present. That's one thing we learn. What else? What else? Good, James. The dog is cowed when it comes into his territory. We can see the significance of that. We, we, this proves that his tomb does have a threshold, right? When it crosses the boundary... Now, the dog doesn't cross the boundary of its own free will at all, right? Um, so, But, of course, we don't know that Dracula necessarily has any authority or power over the dog, but when it's there, it just cowers down in fear, right? It doesn't even try to escape. So it's angry when it is sensing it, right? But it is. Um, but this is before Lucy's bitten. This is the, so. There's been an intervening day since um, the night that Dracula first arrived. Okay. Um, so. Okay. So we have the clear evidence of his of the dog sensing Dracula. The fact that the dog is not freaked out, but it's it's terrified of it's not just angry it's it's terrified of Dracula right that the dog that the crossing of the threshold matters right when it is on Dracula's territory at least for now it acts very differently right now uh, now Joyce is asking the good question how much of the mess of the dog's master's behavior was him or the influence of Dracula um I, I don't know. I mean, that's a really good question that I'm not sure we can answer. That is, to what extent was the... Because the, the, the man is acting out of out of character as well. Is he acting out of character because he's being influenced by Dracula in some way? I don't know. I mean, it's possible, but I, I, we, we have... Um, I don't... I don't think we have enough evidence to come to a firm conclusion on that point, though it's a good question. Um, yeah, Carrie's thinking we could train dogs to be vampire sniffers as we do for other dangerous substances. Probably, yeah. Seems seems uh, seems like a plan. Um, yeah, Emily, I agree. The dog was interrupting a funeral, right? So, I mean, it's really embarrassing. There's a huge crowd of people, and he can't get his dog to shut up. So it's unusual for the guy to act that way, but it was an unusual and stressful circumstance. So, that, Emily, that's exactly why I feel like you know, there's not enough evidence for me to say, like, he is clearly operating under, like, somebody else's influence. It's, um, it's not, uh, exactly like Terminators, Tom. Yeah, precisely. Right. You got it. Um, okay, okay, okay. Now, Lucy. What is, this is the night. This is the day before the night she's bitten. She's going to be bitten about 12 hours after this funeral. Okay? Um, 
Why is Lucy agonized by the dog? James, what an excellent question. Why is she agonized by the dog? What, what several things do we learn about Lucy? Some simple, some more complex here. Yeah, she's sensitive, Philip. Exactly right. That's... And we have to... Yeah, she's, she, she has empathy, to, uh, uh, Tomas. Absolutely. Um, there's... There's no... There's no way of escaping this. She feels influences more acutely than other people do, Mina says. If we don't understand exactly what she means like that, we just kind of have to accept this, I think, because this incident is being put forward by Mina as an illustration of that fact, right? Um, Lucy is of a super-sensitive nature. Um, She's highly empathic. She She feels things. She senses things. Like dogs. And yes, Morgan, like Renfield, we have several instances in which it's pretty clear we have people who just can somehow, for some reason, more acutely than other people, perceive, feel, sense that Dracula is nearby. Lucy seems to be... Well, she's super sensitive. Anyway, she feels influences more acutely than other people do. And... No, she doesn't sense Renfield. She and Renfield both sense Dracula. Um, in a sense. And what's the simple thing? Where's, um, where's, where's she standing? She's standing on the grave. She's standing in his territory. She's crossed his threshold of her own free will. Right? So... Now, we don't know exactly what Dracula and how much Dracula can perceive when he's in the tomb, right? But she's there on his territory, right? So he's been introduced, right, to her and to Mina and to Mr. Dog Owner, right? Joe Dog Owner there. Um, Yeah, yeah. So why Lucy? because she feels influences more acutely than other people do, right? Maybe he's sending out his telepathic Aquaman call for both of them. And it's Lucy who answers. Why? Because she feels influences more acutely than other people do. Why is she a sleepwalker, right? She got that from her dad, right? An inherited sensitivity. Basically, my answer to the question, why does he select Lucy Westenra, based on what we see, appears to be opportunity. She was standing on the tomb where he is right now, right? And two, um, vulnerability. She's vulnerable. She's vulnerable to him because of her sensitivity, her sleepwalking, her feeling of influences, right? Um, She... uh, she could say, Veronica asks, why is she not repelled if she senses him? Why isn't she repelled right now? I don't know that she isn't. Remember what Mina's describing here. Mina's saying, like, she was... Lucy was really affected at the funeral. Lucy was really upset for some reason at the funeral, for some reason that Mina doesn't understand. Lucy was like all, you know, emotionally thrown off at the funeral. She explains this. She can she can find explanations for this, right? The funeral was very touching. And there was that thing with the dog, which seemed to really upset Lucy. Does it upset Lucy because she's just like, oh, poor dog? 
which seems possible. Or does she, because she's like looking down at the dog cowering in fear and is like, yeah, I kind of feel that way too, right? Is she experiencing fellow feeling with the dog rather than merely empathizing with the suffering of the dog, right? That is, it seems to me that Lucy is upset. She does not understand why she is upset, right? She is feeling the presence of Dracula and she is emotionally discombobulated by the presence of Dracula. She doesn't understand it. She doesn't know why. Mina doesn't know why Lucy is emotionally discombobulated by the presence of Dracula. And so Mina comes up with explanations because Mina Mina is very clever, right? And Mina does not feel the same influence and she is not discombobulated any more than I don't think the dog owner is necessarily influenced. I think he's just impatient with his dog in this situation. Um, So, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, Carita, I don't know if discombobulated is the right word, but uh, it'll work for now. Okay. So, opportunity, vulnerability, those two things, that seem, both of those things seem to be true with Lucy. So, she's been introduced to Dracula. Dracula recognizes that she's vulnerable. Um, he sends out his, uh, you know, supersonic call, and she answers. And it's clear, from her own testimony, it's clear that she answers. Right? I only wanted to be here in this spot. For some reason, she had the overpowering desire to walk out the house and go up to that spot. Right? She's clearly feeling and heeding his call. Um, whereas, again, if he's calling Mina, she's not aware of it. And yes, Mary, uh, as Mary Engeldahl points out, in her sweep, sleepwalking state, she's in something like a hypnotic state, which leaves her open to suggestion. Yes, again... She comes, right? and that does seem to be the mechanism which enables her to go, right? Absolutely. Um, James is asking, does she like Arthur have purer blood than the others? Yeah, but not quite as pure as Arthur. She's not a peer, right? Uh, but uh, but she's rich, so she's you know she's from an aristocratic background, so you know it's it's more pure than Minas anyway. Um, but um, uh, anyway, yeah. Okay, so let's keep going. Here's the second night. Right, Mina's just been, or Lucy's just been bitten, and Mina brings her back home, and so here's the second night where she was expecting that Lucy's got to be plum tuckered out. There's no way she's gonna be sleepwalking this night, right? Um, and uh, but Mina has taken the uh, precaution of locking them in to the bedroom and tying the key to her wrist so she could be sure that Lucy could not possibly leave the room again. So what happens? My expectations were wrong, for twice during the night I was wakened by Lucy trying to get out. She seemed, even in her sleep, to be a little impatient at finding the door shut, and went back to the bed under a sort of protest. I woke with the dawn and heard the birds chirping outside of the window. Lucy woke too, and I was glad to see was even better than on the previous morning. All her old gaiety of manner seemed to have come back, and she came and snuggled in beside me and told me all about Arthur. I told her how anxious I was about Jonathan, and then she tried to comfort me. Tell me what happened. What happened? Yes, Nancy, Dracula appears to have called her back. Twice she got up and attempted to leave. Seemed urgent about leaving, right? Was impatient at finding the door shut, her, as if her will were being thwarted, right? She wants to get out, and she can't get out. Okay. Does Dracula bite her? No. No. Not bitten by Dracula. How can we be sure? Because of how much better she looked the next morning, right? 
she's recovering. So on the second night, he wants to feed on her again. Whether he intends to kill her or not, he intends to feed on her again, right? So he calls to her, and she attempts to come. She is prevented from coming by the locked door, and thus he does not feed on her, right? So he attempts to do the same thing he did the first night, but this time it doesn't work because Mina has prevented her leaving, and he does not seem to do anything else, right? So he's still on plan A, Dracula is. This time plan A doesn't work. So there's no evidence that Dracula's ever been to their to her house or anything like that. He's just so presumably he's 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 lounging there on the suicide bench, you know, calling Lucy to come join him again. She attempts to answer, right, the call, and it doesn't work. Okay, cool. Next night. Another quiet day, and to bed with a key on my wrist as before. Again I woke in the night, and found Lucy sitting up in the bed, still asleep, pointing to the window. I got up quietly, and pulling aside the blind, looked out. It was brilliant moonlight, and the soft effect of the light over the sea and sky, merged together in one great silent mystery, was beautiful beyond words. Between me and the moonlight flitted a great bat, coming and going in great whirling circles. Once or twice it came quite close, but was, I suppose, frightened at seeing me, and flitted away across the harbor towards the abbey. When I came back from the window, Lucy had lain down again, and was sleeping peacefully. She did not stir again all night. So tell me, what happened? Good. Good. Yeah. Um, Once again, he flees at the sight of Mina. Now, I don't think we need to, from this, leap to the conclusion that Mina has some kind of anti-vampiric power, right? Um, I, that, I think, would be too much. But, okay, so it's starting at the beginning. Yes, good. Philip, I like how you put that. Dracula has changed t- tactics. Yes. So, because um, uh, exactly, Rachel, he came looking for her. He didn't just call her to come to him, because that didn't work last night for some reason. So he's going to case the joint this time, Right. So he takes the form of a vampire, exactly, Mark. He takes the form of, of a vampire, and he, he, he seems this just reconnaissance appears to be. Right? How do we know that? He's not trying to enter or anything. How do we know? Look at Lucy's actions. What do we see in Lucy's actions? What does she do? Yes, she sits up in bed and points to the window. Exactly. Evidence would suggest, therefore, that he has not called Lucy. See what I mean? Why? I don't think he's calling her. What happens when he calls her? What happens when he calls her? She goes, right? Yeah, when he calls her, she comes. Um, if he'd called her to the window, she'd gone up and gone to the window. We've ever, we, from the first two nights, when she goes up and leaves, first leaves and second tries to leave, and from the next night when, she's gonna get, when she is going to get up and go to the window, we have every reason to think that when he calls to Lucy, Lucy answers. The fact that she's not gotten out of bed suggests he's not called her out of bed, right? But it shows us that she's aware of him. 
right? She's still asleep, but she's pointing at the window, right? She can tell he's there, and she wakes up and in her sleep points to him. Mina goes and looks and sees, there he is, and he's just looking. He comes close at one point. But but that's but as soon as he sees Mina, he takes off. Um, so, yes, Peter, exactly, P- Peter Ribsky says he's not rash, right? We see him cautiously, slowly experimenting, right? He finds where she is. He can apparently come to, come to, come to her, right? He can tell where she is and track her back to her house. But when he finds, oh, she's not alone in her room, he takes off, right? Could he overpower Mina? Presumably. Um, but uh, it, uh, now, Emily, that's an excellent question. Emily says, is she trying to tell Mina? Is this a warning? Like, like vampire alert, or is it? Good question. I don't know. It's hard to be. It's hard to be sure, right? Um, my suspicion, Emily, is yes, yes. I actually think that her pointing to Dracula. She's. I think she is not doing the will of Dracula in that moment. I don't think she is. I can't prove it, but I don't think she is. Um, we'll see. Yeah, several of you are asking about invitations and entering the house. We don't know. We'll get there. But what we do know is he's not even attempting to enter the house yet, right? So let's let's keep looking at what happens next. We were coming home for dinner and had come to the top of the steps. This is uh, Lucy and, and, and Mina. They had been up in the graveyard on their favorite seat. Had come to the top of the steps up from the West Pier and, stu- and stopped to look at the view, as we generally do. The sun was the setting sun, low down in the sky, was just dropping behind Kettle Ness. The red light was thrown over the east cliff and the old abbey, and seemed to bathe everything in a beautiful rosy glow. We were silent for a while, and suddenly Lucy murmured, as if to herself, his red eyes again. They are just the same. It was such an odd expression, coming apropos of nothing, that it quite startled me. I slewed around a little, so as to see Lucy well, without seeming to stare at her, and saw that she was in a half-dreamy state, with an odd look on her face that I could not quite make out. So I said nothing, but followed her eyes. She appeared to be looking over at our own seat, whereon was a dark figure seated alone. I was a little startled myself, for it seemed for an instant as if the stranger had great eyes like burning flames. But a second look dispelled the illusion. The red sunlight was shining on the windows of St. Mary's Church behind our seat, and as the sun dipped, there was just sufficient change in the refraction and reflection to make it appear as if the light moved. Oh, yeah. Whew. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we can, we can, we can, that could easily be explained. Yeah, yeah, Philip, exactly. We can see the justification on Mina's part, her, her seeking for, uh, yeah, science to the rescue, James, exactly. Uh, optics, in this case, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ian Bailock calls this Mina channeling her inner Jonathan. Yeah, or at least we can see the two of them have the same, uh, uh, the same, uh, the same, yeah, yeah, exactly. It was burning swamp gas re- reflecting off a weather balloon, Mark. That's, that's, that's likely what happened here. Um, good, good. Yeah, now Mary, you're right. I, I have the same reaction. Uh, 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 Mary says, does Mina not remember the red eyes from the other night? Come on, Mina! Yeah, we'll see... Both times, she's rationalizing it, right? Um, Mina sees the red eyes two times, but neither time does she believe in the red eyes, right? Um, 
Yeah, rationalization in the face of seemingly obvious facts, Carolyn. And that's a trend. We'll talk about that next time. That'll be our major theme next week. But for today, let's focus on Lucy. So, what do we see? What do we learn here with Lucy? And her comments and all that kind of thing. Yes, Daniel, Lucy appears to recognize him. Right? Um... More. More. What else do we see here? What does this show? When she explains what happened that night, remember she... she remember the thing that she doesn't mention at all in her account of that night? Um, the... Dracula, right? You know, she's like, I seem to just want to be there, and then I had this feeling of being... But there's no perception of him apparent in her recollection of it, right? When she tells the story, she doesn't seem to have any even awareness or recollection of a dude with a creepy white face and glowing, burning red eyes, right? But when she says here, his red eyes again, they are just the same. It shows that she does have memories of him, right? They are just the same as what, right? As the night he bit her. He, she remembers. Somewhere in her brain, she retains the memory of Dracula's eyes glowing red as he goes to bite her, right? It's there, somewhere. And it's only coming out here, but it's suppressed somehow. When she's tra- telling Mina about what happens, she's totally vague, doesn't remember it, right? Um, Arthur, you're so close. Arthur Harrow says, she says it in the context of the red rosy glow of the sun. Wait, 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 more. Remember Renfield. When does Renfield freak out? When does Renfield go completely ballistic. Yes, Jennifer, it's sunset! It's the exact moment of sunset, which is exactly when Renfield goes completely ape in his cell, right? And this is the moment at which Lucy remembers seeing his face, his red eyes again. They are just the same. And then, a minute later, she doesn't remember what she was talking about. Yes! Yes! Exactly. Okay, okay. This is why we did Renfield's case study first, right? Um, Okay, okay. So, therefore, Dracula appears to... We we do seem to have evidence, therefore, that Dracula is, is exerting some kind of mental control over her. She is not free to speak of all that she knows. She might not even remember what happened. Yes, things do happen at sunrise and sunset, Peter, but both of them seem to sleep past sunrise. Uh, remember the birds are already singing when uh, Mina woke up the, that, 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 that other morning? Remember? Um, okay, okay. Um... There's some kind of mental control that Dracula is exerting over Lucy. She is not free to tell what she what she remembers. She's not even free, in a sense, to remember what she remembers. So it's important to um, it's important to keep in mind. There's a there's a there's a there's a huge mental component to Lucy's relationship with Dracula. 
at this point, right? Um, so let's keeping that in mind. Let's keep uh, let's keep moving ahead. All right. That evening, Mina goes out for a walk, alone, defenseless, after dark. No vampires trouble her, right? But uh, not a single one of the Walking Dead does a uh, a thing to her. However. I saw her asleep and went for a little stroll myself. So she puts Lucy to bed. She goes out for a stroll. I walked along the cliffs to the westward and was full of sweet sadness, for I was thinking of Jonathan. Evening stroll along the cliffs, right? Very beautiful. When coming home, it was then bright moonlight, so bright that, though the front of our part of the crescent was in shadow, everything could be well seen. I threw a glance up at our window and saw Lucy's head leaning out. I thought that perhaps she was looking out for me, so I opened my handkerchief and waved it. She did not notice or make any movement whatever. Just then, the moonlight crept around an angle of the building, and the light fell on the window. There, there distinctly was Lucy, leaning her head, lying up against the side, with her head lying up against the side of the window, of the window sill, and her eyes shut. She was fast asleep, and by her, seated on the window sill, was something that looked like a good-sized bird. I was afraid she might get a chill, so I ran upstairs, but as I came into the room, she was moving back to her bed, fast asleep and breathing heavily. She was holding her hand to her throat as though to protect it from cold. Okay. What do we get? Yes, we get the fact that Mina can't tell a bird from a bat. Well, it's... Why? Why why does she make that mistake? There's a good reason why she makes that mistake. Good, Mark. Bats don't act like that, right? Have you ever seen a bat perched on a windowsill right next to a person, right? No, bats don't act like that. What else? What else? Okay, Nancy has seen a bat perched on a windowsill, but it's really unusual, right? It's also enormous. It's huge, this bat. Um, she says it looks like a good-sized bird. Not just like a, it, it. It doesn't look like a, a, you know, a swallow or a sparrow or something. It looks like a good-sized bird. From that, I would take maybe something like a raven or, or maybe uh, you know, like a seagull size. This bat is freaking enormous. Okay, so when she sees it out of context, doing a thing that a bat would never normally do, the size of no bat she's ever seen in her whole life, it's not to me totally shocking that she would look at this and be like, there's a bird? I mean, birds do perch on windowsills, and some birds are not all that afraid of humans, right? Um, She's a little bit alarmed, right? Mina is. But, you know, she doesn't automatically think like bat, and, uh, you know, nor does she think immediately undead in bat form. Um, Okay, so what happened with Lucy? What happened with with uh, with 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 Lucy? What what happened? Lucy opened the window. Yes, seems like it, right? Um, so Lucy got out. So so he calls to Lucy. Um, so this is now the third night, right? Third night he comes to the window in bat form again, like he did the, the no, it's the fourth night, like he did the third night, right? And he found her alone, right? No Mina there because Mina's out strolling on the cliffs. So he calls her. She opens the window. Wait, 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 wait. Several of you are saying she invited... Did she invite the bat in? Did she invite the bat in? 
Where's the bat? Does Dracula come in? No, he doesn't go in. He's on the windowsill. She's leaning out, right? So this is like um, this is this is this is takeout for Dracula. This is not you know he, he, this is not the dine-in option. This is takeout, right? She's leaning out the window so that her head and neck are actually outside the house, and he's sitting on the windowsill. And exactly, Jennifer. This is the drive-through. It's precisely the drive-through, the drive-through window uh, of the Western household. Um, so, so yeah. So, so he has not entered the house. Now, does this mean he cannot enter the house? We don't know that for sure. Remember how cautious Dracula was the night before. We don't know, but whether he's chosen not to go in or whether he can't, but he has not come in. He called Lucy to her. She opened the window. She stuck out her head, and he drank her blood, and she went back to bed. Um, good. Yeah, Carrie, he's no longer consuming her and leaving her dead. Yeah, he's had a couple opportunities now. This is, his, this is now the second time that he has fed on her, right? And she's not dead now. So, yeah, and, and nor is she even, like, near to death, as she will become uh, later on. So, okay. So we see more example of the, you know, of, 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 of how much she is under his power, right? She does all the things, coming to the window, opening the window, leaning her head out conveniently for him to feed upon her, right? So again, clear evidence of his mental control. Um, and this seems to be now the, so this is plan B, right? Plan A was, come out and join me in the churchyard. Plan B is, no, 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 hang on. I'll come to, let's do the drive-through version, Okay, um, rather than eating out. Um, next, uh, this is now. I'm jumping ahead a bit here. I'm jumping ahead to 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 to, to Doctor Seward's uh, journal here later on, because um, we leave Lucy behind for a little bit. Um, and good, yet yeah, Gerald. Let's not overlook the fact Dracula can bite her in bat form. Right, he can feed on her in bat form. So that's that's. That's important to notice. By the way, this also perhaps helps explain the size of the bat. Um, I don't think there's any reason to think that what we have is a con- is a, con- uh, a, a, uh, um, a um, conservation of mass situation. I don't think he is a human-sized bat because uh, Lucy wouldn't be thinking a, a, a good-sized bird. She would be like, "There's an enormous like vulture." Condor, ostrich, something. So she would have been a little bit more alarmed, right? Um, but he's um, a bat this size would not be able to drink very much of Lucy's blood, now would it? Um, a little harder to uh, uh, get any sustenance if you're uh, using a tiny, tiny little bat like that. Uh, anyway, okay. Look at um, this is so. This is the night. The first time they come, she has her first relapse, right? Um, she's good for a little while. She has a she she has her good spell when Doctor Seward is first looking in on her. This is when Renfield is running away and cozying up to the chapel door at Carfax. Then Renfield is like all over, right? Back to my DIY version, right? I've got to start time to start collecting flies again. And then Lucy has her terrible change for the worse. This at the end of chapter nine, right? They come. They do the transfusion with Arthur. Bring the brandy. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had. I was figuring out where to end this quotation. I'm like, I have to include "bring the brandy," right? Um, one of my favorite phrases from the book. Quick, bring the brandy. Um, anyway, um, so this is this is the second time. So she was she was looking really ill. Uh, um, she's been fed upon. 
Um, Arthur, they do the Arthur transfusion. Uh, Dr. Seward sits up with her the next night. She's fine, right? She's kept safe. The night after that, he's too tired to stay up with her again, so he goes to sleep in the next room. The next morning, Dr. Van Helsing comes and wakes him up and says, let's go in and check on her, and this is what they find, okay? All right. There on the bed, seemingly in a swoon, lay poor Lucy, more horribly white and wan-looking than ever. Even the lips were white, and the gums, gums seemed to have shrunken back from the teeth, and as, as we sometimes see in a corpse after a pro- prolonged illness. Van Helsing raised his foot to stamp in anger, but the instinct of his life and all the long years of habit stood to him, and he put it down again softly. Quick, he said, bring the brandy. Now, what do we learn? Um... What do we learn from just about Lucy? Here, let's focus on Lucy. What do we learn? Yeah, Nancy, she's uh, starting to undergo certain physiological changes. Yeah, the business about the gum shrinking back from the teeth, that's a little ominous again, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think we're right in, 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 um, in, in, in reading that. Of course, Michael, you're right that we learned that alcohol is the cause of and solution to all of life's problems, yes. Um, but, but, but about Lucy, what do we learn? Okay, she's undergoing physiological changes. How is he feeding on her? How is he feeding on her? Is he coming in? Is he making house calls now? Is he, uh, is she, she's lying asleep in bed? Does he come into her bedroom through her window and feed upon her while she lies in bed? Is that what's happening? How is she, how do they find her? Um, what is her posture? On the bed, on the bed, seemingly in a swoon. Yes, 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 on the bed. Emily, I agree. I, th- I think you've got it. I, that, that seems to me important. She's not in bed. She's not in bed. She's lying on the bed as if in a swoon. Like she's fallen onto the bed. Yes, yes. That's exactly um, uh, that, uh, that Emily's exactly how I read that uh, passage. So, so what happened? Based on what we've seen, we know what goes on, right? Dr. Seward has no idea, but we know what happened. Well, what was happening the last time we saw Dracula feeding upon her? It was the bird bat, right? We have, yes, Kathy, exactly. We have every reason to think that Dracula called her to the window... She did the, the you know he he did the drive through, right, and then she walked back to the bed and yes Arthur this time she barely made it, so she collapsed onto the bed. Um, exactly, Sarah. Yes, there's all that talking about that she does about the flapping about outside the window. She does seem to be still being called to the window. I do not think we have any reason to believe that Dracula has has entered the house. We might not. I don't even think we see we we have any evidence that he's entered the house ever at all. She's still sticking her head out the window. 
Mina's not there. Remember, she's sleeping by herself now. There's nobody else in her room. There's nobody to lock the door. There's nobody to... But now she's coming to the window. Dracula apparently finds this more convenient than hauling her all the way up to the East Cliff. Why? Because he's smart. He knows that sooner or later somebody's going to find her. And they'll probably notice that she's, like, not wearing shoes and everyone's going to be scandalized and then what'll happen, right? So this is much easier, right? Exactly. <laughs> Dracula is not in the house, Arthur. Exactly. Right. So yeah, but but she's weakening, right? So she barely makes it, but she does not get back into bed before she had gotten into bed. Now she is so weak that she doesn't. Even, she barely makes it over to the bed, and she swoons down upon it. I think had she been lying in bed underneath the bedclothes, this is not how Doctor Seward would have described it. He he would have said like, you know, she was lying in bed, but she looked horribly pale. In other words, like the way they found her before. The time before, she was in bed. Now she's just on the bed in a swoon. Yeah, exactly, Mary. Dracula works smarter, not harder. Remember, he would have made a wonderful solicitor, right? He, he's, a, he's a great planner. So, Lucy, tell us more about your experience. Uh, how does uh, You're being fed upon by a vampire. How, did, how does that make you feel? This is the night before, right? So this is, this is the night right before he finds her on the bed uh, in a swoon. You... You do not want to go to sleep? No, I am afraid. Afraid to go to sleep? Why so? It is the boon we all crave for. Ah, not if you were like me. If sleep was to you a presage of horror. A presage of horror? What on earth do you mean? I don't know. I don't know. And that's what is so terrible. All this weakness comes to me in sleep until I dread the very thought. But my dear girl, you may sleep tonight. I am here watching you, and I can promise that nothing will happen. Ah, I can trust you. I seized the opportunity and said, I promise you that if I see any evidence of bad dreams, I will wake you at once. You will? Oh, will you really? How good you are to me. Then I will sleep. And almost at the word, she gave a deep sigh of relief and sank back asleep. Good. Yes, Arthur, she's fighting it. We can see that Lucy's waking will is resisting what is happening to her, but exactly, Mick, she is still struggling with repressed memory. She doesn't understand, or at the very least, she can't speak directly, but it sounds like she herself doesn't even, can't even master the memory of it, right? So, okay, so she doesn't remember. Um, Now, good, Penny, that's a good contrast. Penny points out that uh, Jonathan remembered all of the incidents, right? Difference? Jonathan wasn't bitten, and she was. So that seems to have put her in Dracula's power more strongly than Jonathan was ever either in Dracula's power or in the women's power, right? Okay, so she is horrified of sleep because she knows that sleep is when these things happen to her, right? When she is asleep, her will submits to Dracula. He calls and she obeys. When she is awake... She resists. She doesn't want it to happen. And so it's 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 the struggle with sleep. She doesn't want to pass from this. Remember the two Lucys I was talking about with that vision and the out-of-body experience she has, right? Her own waking consciousness being separated from her sleeping consciousness. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Curita says her husband wants someone to write a paper comparing and contrasting Dracula with the gentleman with the thistle-down hair. That would be an interesting comparison, Curita. I think there's a lot to talk about there. That would be really fun, actually. Um, Okay, okay. So, um, now, Curita, Tom Hillman was already thinking about 
sort of the parallels between passing into Transylvania and uh, and the perilous realm. Thinking about this in terms of fairy and fairy stories, and the similarities and differences there. Uh, so we're, we're, uh, Tom's already already kind of uh, 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 moving in that direction. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Good. No way. Rickle says that that actor who plays the gentleman with the, with the thistle down hair has has all, has uh, actually played Dracula before. As, see, look, there you go, there you go. Um, okay. Yes, Yana. Yana says he finds it curious that the sleepwalking started before Dracula's arrival. Is he just abusing an existing affliction? Yeah, yeah. Again, I say she's vulnerable, right? I mean, this she's totally susceptible to the kind of manipulation that he appears to, to, to do even before he bites her. Right? I mean, she answers his call before she is under his power, right? Um, so, yeah, yeah, and no, I absolutely think that's exactly the way it is. He's just abusing an, an existing affliction. It's, it's She's vulnerable. He's taking advantage of it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, okay. Um, Van Helsing comes on the scene, right? Um we went into the room, taking the flowers with us. The professor's actions were certainly odd, and not to be found in any pharmacopoeia I ever heard of. First, he fastened up the windows, and rubbed. Uh, sorry, he fastened up the windows and latched them securely. Next, taking a handful of the flowers, he rubbed them all over the sashes, as though to ensure that every whiff of air that might get in would be laden with the garlic smell. Then, with the wisp, he rubbed all over the jam of the door above below and at each side, and round the fireplace in the same way. It all seemed grotesque to me. And presently I said, Well, Professor, I know you always have a reason for what you do, but this certainly puzzles me. It is well we have no skeptic here, or he would say that you are working some spell to keep out an evil spirit. Ha, ha, ha. Perhaps I am, he answered quietly, as he began to make the wreath with which Lucy was to wear around her neck. Okay. Um... What's happening here? Finally, we get somebody who has a clue, right? Um, yeah, Jennifer asks, how in the world did Van Helsing come up with the garlic idea? Does he have some prior knowledge of the undead? Remember, Dr. Seward calls him in for that first consultation, right? And he meets with her, and he's he, he says, I need to go back and I need to... He, he immediately goes back to Amsterdam, right? He goes back to do some research. And then he comes back. And then he leaves again after the second time when she's... After they do the Arthur infusion, he leaves again. That's why Dr. Seward is watching over her for two nights in a row. Because he's, 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 he's got to do some more reading. And it's after that, when he comes back, that he arranges to have the garlic brought. Right? So, Jennifer, we don't exactly know his movements precisely, but... Apparently, in this time, he's uh, at least entertaining the theory um, that uh, that. But we'll 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 come back uh, we'll come back to that next time. Our main, as I said, our main topic of of focus for next time is going to be this whole question of latter day belief, to use the phrase used in the epigraph, right? The uh, the struggle of the uh, sophisticated nineteenth century. Uh, scientific person to come to grips with the fact of the undead. That's going to be our main focus next time. Um, so what are we getting here? Don't think about Van Helsing. Think about what we're learning about Dracula and what we're learning about Lucy. 
why garlic? I, I can't answer the why garlic question. It's traditional. It's just that he'll talk about it later on, but I have no idea. Uh, this is the kind of thing that peasants know, right? Remember, this is what. Remember the gifts they were trying to give Jonathan in the carriage, right? The branch of wild rose and mountain ash and all that stuff, right? Um, peasants know these things, right? Don't question the peasants. Um, okay, so he's rubbing it all over the room. We do see he seems to be securing the window. Notice he's securing all entries. It seems obvious that Van Helsing thinks that something is coming in, something that would be repelled by garlic is coming in, and he's trying to prevent anything from being able to come in. And he did remember the fireplace, Gerald. He's very cautious. He's very careful. Right? Um, okay. Yeah, several of you are struggling with the garlic thing. Just, we just have to accept it for now. May, you know, we'll, we'll learn a little bit more about it later. We can talk about it then. For now, all we have is we're basically seeing Van Helsing's experiment. Right? Now, it's interesting because this is different from many of the other things, right? That is, we have no previous knowledge of this. Um, no real talk about garlic. We know in our first four chapters, we don't learn much about garlic. So this is new on us, right? Um, but um, anyway, so, okay, so the experiment is, um, he's, he, he thinks that this is going to work to keep Dracula away, Right? Um, hey, you know, Peter, you can't rule it out. Maybe, maybe paprika helps. Maybe that's why they were giving... Maybe that's why they were loading Jonathan Harker up with paprika. I like that theory. Uh, who knows? Um, uh, but that's not what he tries. He doesn't spr- sprinkle paprika. Instead, he, he, puts, he, puts, uh, he puts garlic up around. Stop worrying about the garlic. Accept it. He does this, and it appears to work. But, but, but again, what do we... He seems to be trying to prevent entry. But hang on, there's no evidence Dracula's ever entered. So wait, so is this going to work? And if so, what is it going to do? Let's let's keep looking. We'll come. We'll, we'll see if we, what answers we get with this. How good they all are to me. This is Lucy again, of course. I quite love that dear Doctor Van Helsing. I wonder why he was so anxious about these flowers. He positively frightened me. He was so fierce, and yet he must have been right for I feel comfort from them already. Somehow, I do not dread being alone tonight, and I can go to sleep without fear. I shall not mind any flapping outside the window. Oh, the terrible struggle that I have had against sleep so often of late, the pain of the sleeplessness, or the pain of the fear of sleep, with such unknown horrors as it has for me. How blessed are some people, whose lives have no fears, no dreads, to whom sleep is a blessing that comes nightly, and brings nothing but sweet dreams. Well, here I am tonight, hoping for sleep, and lying like Ophelia in the play, with virgin crants and maiden struments. I never liked garlic before, but tonight it is delightful. There is peace in its smell. I feel sleep coming already. Good night, everybody. Okay, so... 
Yeah, I agree, Amber. The Ophelia comparison is a little ominous, right? If I were her, I would not be making that particular comparison. I'm kind of like Ophelia. Yeah, you don't really want to go there. Um, yes, good, Jennifer. This is the first time she mentions flapping at, uh, or, uh, f- flapping at the window as a scary thing. Yeah, good. So follow that up. What does that suggest? Mary says subconsciously she knows the garlic keeps her safe. More, though. It's more than that. Uh, He must have been right, for I feel comfort from them already. Remember, she doesn't know what's happening. And we don't even know, we have no reason to think Dracula's coming in. So... I don't think that we can even say subconsciously, like in that part of her brain that re- retains the information that she's being fed upon uh, by uh, a blood-sucking corpse. She's that that subconscious part of her head is thinking the garlic will repel him. The garlic will repel him for some reason, so he can't come in. So I'm safe tonight. That's a possible line of reasoning, but I don't buy it. I don't buy it because again, I don't think he's coming in. I think she's going to him. At the window. She is, he is calling her to the window and she is answering, right? And her reaction is, I, uh, I feel safe, right? I don't, I don't worry about sleep. I don't worry about being alone. Why did she worry about sleep? Because she knows that her will is not her own when she sleeps, right? She, to, all of this weakness comes in sleep, unknown horrors and all that. But also, again, there's, we see that division in her will. When she's asleep, she answers him and responds to him and goes to him. When she's awake, she doesn't want to. And so she doesn't want to go asleep, because go, going to sleep is like, you know, letting go of the reins, right? She's not she's not driving the bus anymore when she's asleep, and it seems like she knows that. But when she's got the garlic, she feels better. She feels comfort already, and she can go to sleep without fear. Look at the next message. Four days and nights of peace. I'm getting so strong again that I hardly know myself. Of course, the first night, like obviously the terrible irony about her statements the night before, like, I'm not worried about going to sleep. Good night, everybody. This is going to be an awesome night. And then her mom comes and opens the windows and clears all the garlic away, right? And Van Helsing nearly goes bananas, right? Uh, in his frustration at that unfortunate event. But after that, Van Helsing makes sure that this doesn't happen anymore, right? So we've had four nights in which Van Helsing and his garlic are at work, right? Four days and nights of peace. I'm getting so strong again that I hardly know myself. It is as if I had passed through some long nightmare and had just awakened to see the beautiful sunshine and feel the fresh air of morning around me. It's like dawn or sunset. It's like dawn... So now her experience, her, her recollection, again, we got that sleeping-waking dichotomy, right? It's almost like this nightmare I experience when I'm asleep is over and I'm now awake and in full control of my waking mind. Okay. I have a dim half-remembrance of long, anxious times of waiting and fearing, darkness in which there was not even the pain of hope to make present distress more poignant, and then long spells of oblivion, and the rising back to life as a diver coming up through a great press of water. Since, however... Dr. Van Helsing has been with me. All this bad dreaming seems to have passed away. 
the noises that used to frighten me out of my wits, the flapping against the windows, the distant voices which seemed so close to me, the harsh sounds that I came that came from I know not where and commanded me to do I know not what have all ceased. I go to bed now without any fear of sleep. I do not even try to keep awake. I have grown quite fond of the garlic, and a boxful arrives for me every day from Harlem. She's not lying in her bed, and he's coming in through the window and feeding upon her while she lies in bed. That would make her completely passive. She's not completely passive. What she recalls is flapping against the windows, distant voices, which seemed close, right? So this sense of a proximate, distant voice, right? Harsh sounds coming from she doesn't know where and commanding her to do something that she doesn't remember, right? She keeps getting these... She's clearly being commanded. She is responding, leaving her bed and going to the window. The flapping is like the signal. So when the bat flaps against the window, which terrifies... In memory, she retains some dim memory of the flapping and she's terrified of it. Okay, so we seem to have a clear... And, and the drowning imagery again, Amber? Exactly. And Nancy's pointing that, uh, that, that to again? Exactly. Okay. So, and you're right, Mary, this is the first time we hear Lucy talking about voices. As she gets more and more separated from that experience, she's not been fed on for four days and nights, right? So plan B, plan A, Dracula's plan A, call her to the graveyard, right? Dracula's plan, plan B, the drive through He seems to have been doing plan B, to be doing the drive through this whole time, okay? Now the drive through window is shut. The drive through window has been shut by Van Helsing and his garlic, okay? And you see what this has meant, also. It's not just that he can't get in. He's not trying to get in. She hasn't got out. And it's not even just that Van Helsing has prevented her, because she refers and in another passage to how Van Helsing himself has been falling asleep while he's watching over her, right? Um, so it's not just... Um, it's not just that... There's somebody in the room preventing her from going to the window like Mina used to do. She's not answering the call. She is aware of the call, now more than she was before, so that mental control seems to be lessened, but she's not answering the call. Therefore, it seems, when putting these last three garlic passages all together, it seems to me fairly clear that the garlic has more than, it's more than just a barrier to prevent Dracula from entering. It has some influence, you know, she's like, I, you know, she feels better as soon as she's smelling it, as soon as she has the, as soon as she has the garlic wreath around her neck. It gives her good dreams. She's not afraid to sleep, right? So whatever mental control he exerts, whatever power is dampened, lessened, blocked by the garlic. Okay, so again, how, I don't know, why garlic, no clue, but that it appears to be working, yeah, Mary, it is almost as if the garlic strengthens her will. Um, or perhaps, as Kathy Yoder said at exactly the same time, and it might be even more accurate to say it cuts off his will. Maybe. Yeah. So, exactly, Mark. Time for Plan C. This is the account at the Zoological Gardens. Uh, the zoo. Uh, the one in Zoo. There was Berserker a tearing like a mad thing at the bars as if he wanted to get as if he wanted to get out. There wasn't much people about that day, and close at hand was only one man, a tall thin chap with a hook nose and a pointed beard, and with a few with a few white beard few white hairs running through it. 
He had a hard, cold look and red eyes, and I took a sort of mislike to him, for it seemed as if it was him as they was irritated at. Sorry, as, as they was irritated at. He had white kid gloves on his hands, and he pointed out the animiles to me, and he says, Keeper, these wolves seem upset at something. Maybe it's you, says I, for I did not like the airs as he give himself. He didn't get angry, as I hoped he would, but he smiled a kind of insolent smile with a mouth full of white sharp teeth. Oh no, they wouldn't like me, he says. Oh yes, they would, I says, a imitating of him. They always likes a bone or two to clean their teeth on about tea time, which you has a bag full. Well, it was a odd thing, but when the animiles see us a-talking, they lay down, and when I went over to Berserker, he let me stroke his ears same as ever. That there man came over, and blessed, but if he didn't put it in his hand and stroke the old wolf's ears too. Take care, says I. Berserker is quick. Never mind, he says. I'm used to him. So, what happened? Exactly, James. You got it. James Stevens says, A berserker from the north? Yes, you remember. Kathy Yoder is remembering, too. What's the significance of the wolf's name? It's not just any wolf, right? Not just any wolf. The wolf named Berserker. Yeah, so you'll remember the uh, the, the, the berserkers. The Viking is a Viking wolf, Sarah, exactly. Um, the, 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 the blood of the berserkers, right, uh, uh, flows in his veins, right? Okay, so we know Dracula and wolves, right? So we shouldn't be surprised about this, him, see him recruiting a wolf. What else, by the way, do we learn about Dracula in this passage? Let's just, as we pass by, do some more of our careful observation. We see him recruiting wolves. Good, yes, Neil, he's younger. When Jonathan last saw him, how did he look? How did he look? When Dra- when Jonathan first meets him, he has white hair. When Jonathan sees him um, like a filthy leech, bloated with blood, exhausted with his repletion, he has gray hair. His, his hair has gone from white to gray. Now... Uh, he has a, f- uh, a pointed beard with a few white hairs running through it. He's continuing to get younger. Okay, so Gr- Dracula is significantly younger than he was when he left Transylvania. That's one thing that we learned. What else? Um, notice what uh, Thomas Builder doesn't say about him. Remember what Dracula was afraid people would say when they heard him in London, when they talked to him, when he talked to somebody in London? What's, yeah, his accent. Exactly. He's afraid that as soon as somebody talks to him, they're going to be like, oh, a stranger, right? That's not what they... He, 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 it, it, he doesn't like him, right? Uh, I mean, uh, uh, Builder has... Uh, well, he took a sort of mislike to him, right? But yeah, yeah, he never mentions that he was, that he was a foreigner, Right? Score one for Dracula, right? Um, unlike Van Helsing, Yana, exactly. Everybody can tell that Van Helsing is a foreigner as soon as they start as soon as they start talking to him. Um, absolutely. Um, okay, so he's um, 
Yeah, now, Philip, we don't know if this is it's the first human interaction that we see him have in England, right? Um, uh, when does this happen? Time of day? Tea time. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it's I, exactly. Yeah. It happens at tea time. It happens at tea time. In other words, broad daylight. Right? It's, 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 I, 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 I believe, yeah, four or five o'clock. I, 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 the sun is still up, I believe, when Dracula comes by. Um, Dracula can go about in the daytime. No, we've already seen this. Right? We've already seen that this, that this is true. Um, we saw him doing this. Um, with um, Jonathan, you know, in Jonathan's clothes, right? Um, the sun was up when he went face first down the wall um, at Castle Dracula. So we, we know he can move around in the daytime. Jonathan hung out with him during the daylight hours, some daylight hours. Um, but we have sort of confirmation that this occurs. And then it's, it, it is after dark then when, uh, when the wolf breaks out. Um, I love how Thomas Builder, you know, the uh, simple man, you know, the English peasant who lives close to the animals, um, took, excuse me, takes a sort of mislike to, to Dracula right away, right? Just like a, just like a dog. Um, you know, it's like, you know, the, the, the peasants and the animals, you know, you can trust the peasants and the animals. Uh, lords, not so much. Okay, now, read this one carefully. Here's from... Lucy's memorandum, right? Um, Emily says, is he wearing gloves to hide his pointed fingernails? I think he's likely to be to hide the, his, his hairy palms. Remember, yeah, his, his, his hands are weird, right? So he, uh, he, 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 he wears gloves. Anyway, okay. So this is, um, the, uh, the wolf has broken in through the window. So the, the, the wolf breaks the window. It doesn't come in the house. It just breaks the window, Right? And what happens after that? This is prior to this passage, so this is a quiz. What happens right at... What does Lucy see right after the wolf breaks the window? Okay, her mom has a heart attack and dies. But right at, but right, right, right after that. What does she see? Yeah, this black spot, swirling dust. Exactly, Evan, good. She sees the swirling dust, Right? This is, I think this is likely the first time Dracula has entered her house after the wolf breaks the window. Okay? All right. And, but she's not sure what to make of it because she's like a little concussed because her mom falls on her and like her head smacks against Lucy's head. Like she like butts head with her mom's corpse. It's really kind of horrible, right? As her mom's body falls on her after she has a heart attack and dies. But anyway, okay. Um, uh, yeah, Yana, exactly. The, um, um, the, the, um, the doctor's care not to shock the mom, that was totally legit, right? Uh, upon experiencing the quite understandable shock of uh, the, a, a wolf 
jumping in through the window of the house. Um, that was um, th- now. By the way, in case you're if you're thinking, wait a second, wasn't Lucy up on the second story, as we would say in America, or the first story, as they would say in England? Um, that was in Whitby. They're not in Whitby anymore, right? They're at Hillingham, which is on the outskirts of London. So they've they've come down to their to their London house now. So okay. Um, now, now let's read. The sounds seemed to have awakened the maids too, for I could hear their bare feet pattering outside my door. I called to them, and they came in. And when they saw what had happened and what it was that lay over me on the bed, they screamed out. The wind rushed in through the broken window, and the door slammed too. They lifted off the body of my dear mother and laid her, covered up with a sheet, on the bed after I had got up. They were all so frightened and nervous that I directed them to go to the dining room and have each a glass of wine. Of course. Uh, wine. You know, they don't necessarily have go straight for the hard stuff. They don't go straight for the brandy, right? The men go straight for the brandy. Um, a glass of sherry is, uh, is what you would prescribe to a younger girl. The door flew open for an instant and closed again. The maids shrieked and then went in a body to the dining room, and I laid what flowers I had on my dear mother's breast. When they were there, I remembered what Dr. Van Helsing had told me, but I didn't like to remove them, and besides, I would have some of the servants to sit up with me now. I was surprised that the maids did not come back. Must be really hitting the sherry hard. I called to them, but got no answer, so I went to the dining room to look for them. My heart sank when I saw what had happened. They all four lay helpless on the floor, breathing heavily. The decanter of sherry was on the table half full, but there was a queer acrid smell about I was suspicious, and examined the decanter. It smelt of laudanum, and looking on the sideboard, I found that the bottle which which Mother's doctor uses for her, oh, did use, was empty. What am I to do? What am I to do? I am back in the room with my mother. I cannot leave her, and I am alone, save for the sleeping servants whom someone has drugged. Alone with the dead, I dare not go out, for I can hear the low howl of the wolf through the broken window. Who put the laudanum in the sherry? Yeah, James, he really does love those alone with the deadlines. Yeah, exactly. He just, he he, he absolutely can't, he can't resist that. Um, Not that I would do this, but if I were making a drinking game <clears throat> around the reading of Dracula, that would totally be one of my 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 triggers. Uh, uh, whenever he says "alone with the dead" or "the only living thing" or something like that, another would be the use of the word "voluptuous." Um, another would be um, uh, whenever anyone says "bring the brandy." Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, that's that. That's uh, that I would totally. <clears throat> that's what I would do. But anyway, okay. Um, so what happened? Who drugged the, who drugged the, the wine, and and how did that go down? Let me, um. Uh, <laughs> James says you wouldn't do a drinking game. Think of how healthy you would be. That's true. It's true. Okay. Okay. What happened? Let's work this through with me step by step. Paragraph one. Where's Dracula, and what's he doing? Where's Dracula? 
He's in the swirling dust. Where was the swirling dust? In the wind. Where was the wind? In the room. Yes. In the room. In this first paragraph, Dracula is standing there in the room with them. The wind slams the door shut. Okay? Remember, Dracula can command the wind. Remember, he steered the ship. He navigated the ship from, like, the, the, the Straits of Gibraltar all the way to the harbor of Whitby by controlling the wind. He has, he has pinpoint control over the wind. Okay? He is in the room. He entered in in his dust moat swirling form after the wolf broke the window pane. How did he get in? Did he need an invitation? Seemed to have one. This is why, again, this is why I, there, there's, there's, no, there's no event in which Lucy gives him a special invitation here. This is why I think he probably could have come in before, but he didn't bother. That wasn't how he was, that wasn't plan B. This is plan C. Plan C is, I'm coming in. Right? And he needs the wolf's help because the garlic would prevent him. We knew he was only thwarted one night between plan A and plan C, right? When Lu- when Mina locked the door and Lucy couldn't get out, he's like, okay, plan B, right? Four days have passed since plan B was thwarted by Van Helsing and his garlic, right? He's, he's not taking it anymore. So plan C involves the wolf breaking through, which enables him to come in. Um, he didn't need the wolf to break the pane of the window. If it weren't for the garlic, he could get in and out if he wanted to. How do we know that? How do we know that? We know this for a fact. That he could get in. Exactly. Good. Carolyn, Emily, Jennifer, Rickle. Absolutely, yes. Because he could get in and out of the boxes that were nailed shut on the ship. Right? So, whatever minuscule crack... The fireplace would certainly, the chimney would certainly have been more than big enough, right? The cracks around the window, even when it was latched, would probably have been enough, right? So, exactly. Okay, so he um, he could get in, but he has not been able to get in. Obviously, he's not been able to get in, and it seems like it's likely the garlic that's preventing him, right? Exactly, James. Van Helsing treated all the window cracks, Right? So the and and the whole room is stuffy with the smell of garlic, right? The wolf breaks the window pane, enabling the wind to blow in, and he's there therefore able to get in. So I think that that's an anti-garlic. Um, the, the wolf is not inhibited by the garlic, right? So his minions don't have don't share his own restrictions. The wolves. The wolf doesn't care about garlic even a bit, apparently. So the wind blows away the garlic smell, and he's unable to come in. So he's standing in the room. Then what happens Did you know... Watch the door. The wind rushed through the broken window, and the door slammed too. So they moved the mother. They were all so frightened and nervous that I directed them to go to the dining room and have each a glass of wine. The door flew open for an instant and closed again. The door flew open for an instant and closed again. What just happened? Who opened the door? Dracula opened the door. He was there in the room. 
He heard everything they were saying. She, he, he opens the door and pulls it closed behind him. Why? To run down and drug the wine. She just said, he just heard her say to the servants, go get a glass of wine. And he's like, boom, I'm off for the glass of wine. Right, so he goes and he drugs the wine with a laudanum. Now, several of you were suggesting that Lucy might have drugged the wine in her state. I don't think that's possible. She was safe in the garlic room, right? She, he couldn't control her if he couldn't make her. She could have come to the window and opened it and thrown the garlic away if she had just been totally under his power, right? But apparently that didn't work because she was preserved in some way, made safe by the presence of the garlic around her, safe from his influence. So I think, I think we can prove that she didn't do it, even under his influence and not remembering, right? Because she was sealed in, his, uh, in, his, uh, in her garlic chamber, right? Now, it is interesting that he knows about the laudanum. Um, <clears throat> he's been snooping about the house, I think, for some time. I don't know if he's come in or not. I don't know. But uh, anyway, he seems to know where things are. That seems a little suspicious, but he has been hanging around at least outside this house. Maybe he's come in. Maybe he's come in through other rooms. He could have done that. He could have been prowling around the house, trying to get in the other way. I can easily imagine Dracula doing that, being like, I can't get in through the window, can't get in through the fireplace. Maybe I can get in through the hall door. So let me go in the room down the hall and come back in. Does he need an invitation in order to come in? We don't know. We don't see him being given one. Now, it's possible that Lucy opening her window, even though she was sticking her head out instead of inviting him in, maybe her coming and opening her window sufficed as an invitation. We don't know. We don't know. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, Peter, we're going to come to that. We're going to come to that later on. Um, Carita says, why go to all this effort with Lucy? Why not give up and munch on easier pickings? Excellent question. No idea. No idea. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Um, we're getting late. That's okay. Oh, <clears throat> one, last no- one, last, uh, one last notice. One last thing to notice. Yeah, Mary, I agree. That's what I think, too. He doesn't like to give up a conquest. Right, <clears throat> this, though he was beaten back, he came back again and again and again. Right, though he had to leave the, with all of his troops being slaughtered. Um, he's a he's a, a persevering kind of fellow. Right, <clears throat> my suspicion is that <clears throat> the very fact that he was he's being thwarted is ticking him off and making him the more determined. This is now like it's on between him and Van Helsing right now. Right. Um, he's not he's not going to put up... I mean, first it was Mina thwarting him. Now it's Van Helsing thwarting him. And he's not the kind of guy to take that sitting down. Right. Um, <clears throat> okay. Right, exactly, Daniel. Yeah, the battlefield thing. Um, one last thing. When does Mina... When does Lucy write this? Her memorandum? The last thing that she writes that she hides in her bosom? <clears throat> um, when does she write this? I am back in my room with mother. 
I can't leave her. Servants are sleeping. I'm alone with the dead. Yeah, right before Dracula drinks her blood again, Emily. Yeah, Margaret. Good. <clears throat> Why doesn't he drink her blood right away? I mean, they're alone. It's got to take her some time to write this, right? I mean, she's probably sitting there for, what, half an hour? An hour? Writing this whole thing? By hand? Right? She's not speed typing in her, you know, laptop. My theory? Because she's awake. Um, she's awake. I, uh... <clears throat> She feels sleep coming for her and says goodbye. And that seems to be when he bites her. Now, he's not in a rush, right? Um, <clears throat> he has the rest of the night and he knows it. But it seems to be, given everything else that we've seen, it seems to me rather conspicuous that he appears, though he's probably literally standing freaking right there in the room with her while she's writing this. Every reason to think that he's actually like, <laughs> looking over her shoulder, right? I mean, he's doing, like, his super creepy stalking thing, right? But he waits. And again, I think it, with the, the sleep thing, I, I think it's got to be the sleep thing. Well, after this, she's... Oh, yeah, and the wolf, James, right? He's kept... The wolf is, is, is circling the house. Why? Why is the wolf circling the house? Why is the wolf circling the house? Yeah, so she can't run away. Just like the wolves did in Transylvania with Jonathan in the carriage. Right? Yeah, he's got it all planned out. Right? She, she can't leave the house. He's drugged everybody else. She is completely at his mercy now. Right? Just how he wanted it. All right. <clears throat> Dr. Seward's observations again. Towards dusk, she fell into a doze. Here a very odd thing occurred. Whilst still asleep, she took the paper from her breast and tore it in two. Van Helsing stepped over and took the pieces from her. All the same, however, she went on with the action of tearing, as though the material were still in her hands. Finally, she lifted her hands and opened them, as though scattering the fragments. Van Helsing seemed surprised, and his brow gathered as if in thought, but he said nothing. Uh, what's... We can think like Van Helsing. Yeah, it sounds like she's been instructed to destroy the evidence. Sounds that way. Why did he let her write it in the first place the night before if he was just going to destroy it? I don't know. I mean, is he saying, get rid of that paper? Again, i I got to think that if he simply wanted to get rid of it, he'd have gotten rid of it himself the night before. Um as again, I cannot imagine... It is literally impossible for me to imagine that he is unaware of her. I mean, like, what's he doing? For the length of time it takes her to write this all down? Is he, like, wandering the house looking for her? I mean, he knows where she is. She's right there, where he left her, right? So, I... But but clearly, you are all clearly right that she is... Under... She's in Dracula mode here, right? She is asleep. She is not... Uh, uh, she's not um, operating under her own will. Right? Does this mean that Dracula is giving her this instruction? I don't know. <clears throat> it is towards dusk 
Rachel, and that does seem important that this is happening then. Let's keep looking. I want to do these passages quickly, not only because we're already late, but also because they all kind of go together. Her teeth in the dim, uncertain light seemed longer and sharper than they had been in the morning. In particular, by some trick of the light, the canine teeth looked longer and sharper than the rest. I sat down by her, and presently she moved uneasily. At the same moment there came a sort of dull flapping or buffeting at the window. I went over to it softly and peeped out by the corner of the blind. There was a full moonlight, and I could see that the noise was made by a great bat which wheeled around, doubtless attracted by the light, though so dim, and every now and again struck the window with its wings. When I came back to my seat, I found that Lucy had moved slightly and had torn away the garlic flowers from her throat. I replaced them as well as I could, and stood watching her. Yeah, another trick of the light, like Mina in Whitby, Sarah. Yes, exactly. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, those tricks of the light. Man, it's, uh... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we see John Seward trying to rationalize. Uh, Dr. Seward will prove out that Jonathan Harker and Mina are mere amateurs of rationalization. Uh, He is a trained professional. Yeah, Lucy seems to be repelled by the garlic. She's pushing the garlic away, right? The garlic which she liked before, right? Which she took comfort in before. She's now pushing away, and we can see Dracula's coming to her. Dracula's calling her. He's right there outside the window again. And when he's there, she pushes the garlic away. And this keeps happening. It struck me as curious that the moment she became conscious, she pressed the garlic flowers close to her. It was certainly odd that whenever she got into that lethargic state with the stertorous breathing, she put the flowers from her, but that when she waked, she clutched them close. There was no possibility of making any mistake about this, for in the long hours that followed, she had many spells of sleeping and waking, and repeated both actions many times. Okay. So, her waking mind likes the garlic, her sleeping mind dislikes the garlic, right? Here we see the clear divide. Notice how much sharper the divide seems to be becoming. The implication that I can see, it's not, it's no longer a question of her being under the influence of Dracula's call, I think, anymore, right? She's crossed the line. Now, when she's in that sleep state, that sleep state in which her will used to be subordinate to Dracula's, right? Influenceable. That's not a word, but anyway. By Dracula. Now she's not only influenceable. Now she is... She shares his will. Now her own will... Now she has her human will and her vampire will. Right? We see her beginning to actually change. And, um... Yeah, she really is two persons now, James. Exactly. Um... Yeah... Um, so, again, this, this draws our attention to, you know, we've seen this before, right? This divide, you know, sort of the two Lucy's thing. The two Lucy's thing is now becoming more and more literal, right? More and more complete. Until. At six o'clock, Van Helsing came to relieve me. Arthur had then fallen into a doze, and he mercifully let him sleep on. When he saw Lucy's face, I could hear the hissing indraw of his breath, and he said to me in a sharp whisper, Draw up the blind. I want light. Then he bent down, and with his face almost touching Lucy's, examined her carefully. He removed the flowers and lifted the silk handkerchief from her throat. As he did so, he started back, and I could hear his ejaculation, Mein Gott! as it was smothered in his throat. I bent over and looked too, 
and as I noticed, some queer chill came over me. The wounds on the throat had absolutely disappeared. For fully five minutes, Van Helsing stood looking at her, with his face at its sternest. Then he turned to me and said calmly, She is dying. It will not be long now. It will be much difference, mark me, whether she dies conscious or in her sleep. Wake that poor boy, and let him come and see the last. He trusts us, and we have promised him. It will be much difference whether she dies conscious or in her sleep. She has completed... So, there was that mental division within her before, right? Which has been growing stronger and stronger. Um, With that has also been coming physiological changes, right? The teeth, the gums receding thing, right? Um, That's been happening. It's now even Dr. Seward noticed that, you know, can't, it's not just a gum issue anymore. Her canines are clearly sharper, right? And now, and the wounds vanish, right? And yeah, Karita, isn't there a horrible irony, right? Normally, wounds going away would be a a good sign, right? So yeah, there's this horrible irony that the wounds going away is like the worst possible the worst possible sign. Um, yeah, both Arthur and James are asking about like wh- exactly what difference does it make if she dies awake or asleep? Does it mean that if she dies while awake, she won't become a vampire? I don't know. I don't really know. We'll look at that a little bit more closely next time. There are a couple sort of mysterious... We'll, 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 we'll try to sort that out a little bit more, but... Um, uh, we can say at the very least, Van Helsing believes it's going to make a big difference. How big and exactly what that difference is, we don't really know. Is it so big a difference as whether or not she rises again? I mean, the disappearing of the wounds seems like it's like the physiological change is happening. I mean, she's becoming a vampire, like right there in front of them. So why, if it happens to be, I mean, if she's alive, then it We'll reverse it. Will, will like the wounds reappear? Will her teeth shrink? I don't know. I mean, it doesn't. That seems hard to believe, but um, but I don't know. Anyway, um, it is Carolyn. It is the battle for a soul. Um, <clears throat> so, but again, with the physiological changes, it kind of seems like her rising again as the undead is 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 kind of a done deal at this point. So. Therefore, is there something in that sense? Is there something purely spiritual? Um, You know, I don't know. So Arthur took her hand and knelt beside her, and she looked her best, with all the soft lines matching the angelic beauty of her eyes. Then gradually her eyes closed, and she sank to sleep. For a little bit her breast heaved softly, and her breath came and went like a tired child's. And then insensibly there came the strange change which I had noticed in the night. Her breathing grew stertorous, the mouth opened, and the pale gums, drawn back, made the teeth look longer and sharper than ever. In a sort of sleep-waking, vague, unconscious way, she opened her eyes, which were now dull and hard at once, and said in a soft, voluptuous voice, such as I had never heard from her lips, Arthur, oh, my love, I am so glad you have come. Kiss me. Arthur bent eagerly over to kiss her, but at that instant Van Helsing, who, like me, had been startled by her voice, swooped upon him, and catching him by the neck with both hands, dragged him back with a fury of strength which I never thought he could have possessed, and actually hurled him across the room. 
Not for your life, he said. Not for your living soul and hers. And he stood between them like a lion at bay. Sorry. Voluptuous. Now, we remember where we've seen this sort of thing before. Right? Obviously, she is now like, she's even described like one of Dracula's women. Right? So she's in full female vampire mode, right? Soft, voluptuous, and everything, right? Um, notice the other parallel to that scene? It's not just she who is recalling that scene. Anybody else notice? Yes, James, exactly. Van Helsing does exactly what Dracula did. Remember, Dracula grabs the blonde vampire by the throat and throws her across the room, right? Um, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Arthur, good. Not for your living soul or hers. Yeah, so... Apparently it would make much difference whether Arthur kisses her or not. Possibly even more than her being awake or asleep. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good, Arthur. So it's not just that he's protecting sh- that Van Helsing is protecting Arthur from harm. He is. But this is also about Lucy, as well. What does Van Helsing see here? Now, some of this we'll have to wait and see. We'll come back to some of these things, um, both uh, sort of both. Um, <clears throat> from both sides, both what Van Helsing is saying, and Van Helsing will open himself up more and explain more of what he's thinking. So we'll see that more, but we'll also see more direct evidence from Lucy herself. Um, And I think we'll be able to come to understand the distinction that he's making here. Um, But uh, notice her reaction. I kept my eyes fixed on Lucy, as did Van Helsing, and we saw a spasm of rage flit like a shadow over her face. The sharp teeth champed together. Then her eyes closed, and she breathed heavily. Very shortly after, she opened her eyes in all their softness, and putting out her poor, pale, thin hand, took Van Helsing's great brown one. Drawing it to her, she kissed it. My true friend, she said in a faint voice, but with untellable pathos. Yeah, my voice is getting fainter and fainter. I've been doing too much yelling. <clears throat> been a little too overexcited here this evening. My true friend and his. Oh, guard him and give me peace. I swear it, he said solemnly, kneeling beside her and holding up his hand as one who registers an oath. Then he turned to Arthur and said to him, Come, my child, take her hand in yours and kiss her on the forehead. And only once, their eyes met instead of their lips, and so they parted. Van Helsing does, James, clearly understand the difference between the split between the two Lucys and what it means, right? When she is in her own, is operating under her own power. But notice, she understands. Yes, Veronica, this is the final appearance of the true human Lucy. And notice, the true human Lucy in the moment of death, right, with the eyes of death, sees and recognizes the truth, right? She knows what has happened to her. 
She knows what's going to happen to her. She recognizes that Van Helsing understands. And she affirms that and blesses him and asks for his help. Right? So the clarity of that moment for Lucy is, is I, I think, really important. We can see this is her last moment of freedom. And she exerts that freedom um, to the outside. So when Lucy dies, um, which, though Van Helsing admits it's only the beginning, when Lucy dies, the good Lucy is dead, the human Lucy, the Lucy whose will was resisting, is dead. And all that's left is the soft, voluptuous vampire Lucy whose teeth are sharpening, whose wounds are gone, whose breathing is stertorous, and who pushes garlic away. And also, which is not necessarily the same as, but at least the natural consequence of, sort of the final manifestation of, the Lucy whose will responded to Dracula's call and went and wandered out to the graveyard and opened the window. Right? Okay. We got through all of Lucy's story. I had to cheat and uh, stay late, but we did it, by golly. Uh, next time. <clears throat> More Renfield. Now, I've already told you what we're going to talk about next time. We're going to talk about Latter-day Belief. We're going to talk about the struggle to understand what's going on, especially Dr. Seward's struggle. Um, pay attention to that. Of course, we'll get some more Renfield bits. We did get some more Renfield bits in today's reading, which we didn't get to, and I want to talk about them. Um, so, ask yourself, what really important thing do we learn from the incident where Renfield goes out and um, beats up the Carters? Right? We learn a really important thing there. What is it? Okay. All right. Good night, everybody. My apologies for keeping you so late. It's almost midnight, and at that time, uh, you know, all the evil things in the world will hold full sway. So, um, time for the boon we all crave for, Mark. I agree. Good night, everybody. Bye now. See you next week.